welcome to the edition podcast i'm your host charlotte henry very exciting show this week because i'm joined by the author and journalist james ball who has a new book out it's the rather uh pleasantly and encouragingly titled the other pandemic how cure anon contaminated the world hello james ball thanks for cheering us all up so pleasure to be here with my unique brand of sunny optimism yes exactly uh for people that for somehow don't know james you've worked for a number of publications haven't you covering that tech and kind of politics and hacktivist world been at the guardian you've been at the bureau of investigative journalism and you started a bit of your career with one julian assange I did indeed. Um, in a you, very... you, have you recovered? Are you feeling better? Are you, <laughs> so, are you well, all right we had now? A, a, a very healthy living together and working together relationship and in no way had a calamitous falling out. Um, yes, I've read so, that. That's exactly yeah. what I've read. Yes. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I should nice, also... nice calm start. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> I should also say that I'm absolutely furious at James because a few years ago he was one of multiple authors who wrote a book on basically the same topic as me, which was fake news. Yours was called Post-Truth. I was the only author that didn't call my book Post-Truth at that time. Um, your book is very, very good, and I'll, I'll make sure I'm linked to that and your new book in the show notes. Uh, but I wanted to because obviously, joking aside, you and I both have a, a deep interest in this area and that idea of fake news and disinformation. And... I guess a lot of it, you could say QAnon, which is what this new book of yours is about, is one of the key areas of that disinformation world. It's sort of the epicentre of it in some ways. Yeah, it's it's all got quite a lot worse than uh, since we wrote those books. Hasn't yes, it? Uh, yes. Again, sunny optimism. Out, it turns out they didn't save savers. Um, I think QAnon is sort of a product of low trust in society. Okay, interesting. Uh, you think it's a also, symptom, not a cause? I think it's both. I think, you know, you tend to see these things do that. But once people lose faith in not just in the media, but in sort of the government and in the idea that life will be better for their kids than for them, etc., they start looking for nefarious explanations and uh, QAnon supplies no shortage of nefarious explanations. Yes, um, we'll come to that because I've I've had a chance to read the, the beginning of your book, at least. I was really compelled by it, um, not to smoke, uh, you know, blow too much smoke up your backside. But what I really like about your work is that you explain these quite complex, quite geeky things in a way that non-geeks can actually understand and love. I, I like the accessibility of it. I think I really enjoyed that element of it because obviously I know quite a lot about the disinformation world, but I didn't know all that much about QAnon because it's grown particularly in the last few years. And we saw that, you know, you talk about how it was the cause of the insurrection on Capitol Hill that day in January the 6th, and we'll come on to all of that. But let's go back to the start. What is QAnon, James Ball? <laughs> So it, it started as a quite specific idea, um, supposedly from uh, an insider in the Department of Energy. And uh, there's such a thing called Q clearance there, which is their version of top secret clearance. Um, and it was someone posing as an insider from there who said that Donald Trump was about to round up and arrest a whole bunch of deep state operatives led by Hillary Clinton. And it would happen in the next few weeks. And, um, you know, it, it posted in this really interesting, enigmatic way. It's sort of almost Socratic. It kind of posed little questions um, and sort of said, you know, look up this or ask ask a National Guard member about, you know, X. 
And so it seems to be that it was leading you to your own answers rather than telling you what to think. And it just meant it was incredibly compelling and people stayed compelled even when none of these predictions obviously came at all true. This is the key thing, that whenever you look into fake news in the broadest sense of the term, what keeps happening? There always somewhere is a tiny bit of truth some grain somewhere so for in the example you've just given it is true that the q clearance is very is the highest form of clearance in that department and therefore that leads to an intriguing kind of uh compelling thing you know yeah There's, well it's it's something people haven't heard of as well people go q but clearance, it's true oh, and, then, that? and then you discover it's real exactly and this often happens with um with fake news. I mean, you also write about the comic ping pong pizzeria, which is something I touched on in my book back in the day as well, which for those that don't know, the Democratic Party, Hillary Clinton's campaign, correct me if I've misremembered this, James, but basically they all kept ordering pizza in there because it was really near their office. Yeah, and it's the guy who owns it is like a known, a known supporter. supporter. Right. And then, but what happened was, the sort of online trolley types, and I think this was linked to QAnon specifically and 4chan, decided that the Comet Ping Pong was actually not just a pizza restaurant, but a front for a paedophile ring led by Hillary Clinton, and that's what was going on in the basement. And the result of this was someone turned up with multiple weapons to investigate it for themselves, putting quite a lot of people at risk. Yeah, and it didn't, in fact, even have a basement, let alone a basement <laughs> full of kids. But, I mean, what's interesting with this one was it, it's pretty much the direct precursor to QAnon, and it started on 4chan as a joke. They were really underwhelmed by the hacked emails from the Clinton campaign, and so they decided to sort of pretend that there was this code there and see if they could get people to believe it and to post it. And they kind of succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. You yeah. know, it was being referred to on Fox within a week or two. Um, and, you know, this is the danger with a lot of this. We think QAnon probably started as a similar game. Um, and yes, so well, uh, in your book, about... nihilistic teenagers <laughs> just sort of kick off all sorts of chaos. Yes. Um... So, yes, first of all, it was very dangerous what happened at Comet Ping Pong because someone turned up with a lot of heavy weaponry and anything could have happened, and that's very dangerous. And you make a very, very clean, important point, which is that this stuff starts drifting into the mainstream media, which is obviously what I'm particularly interested in on this show and how it becomes from randos on a, you know, a message board online which you know has its issues but doesn't seep through necessarily but then it ends up on fox news the biggest news channel in the country and that kind of stuff is very dangerous yeah uh, i mean it's essentially it's when you've got it's not just the mainstream media it's also sort of major social networks etc right. if, if what started on 4chan stayed on 4chan you'd be fine um, end up on Facebook and Facebook, YouTube, and what sort of happens before it comes through sort of more mainstream outlets is influencers start seeing there's money in it for them. Um, and you know, you're not talking the, about fashion influencers here, no, but essentially quite close to it. So, sort of the people who do TikTok videos or right. do YouTube, you know, TikTokers will pivot to true crime content, you've seen them. Do well, very elaborate in this theories for murders for all yeah i mean in quite damaging ways you know that yes. poor woman who drowned in the river the bully, yes yeah um, poor, they had a whole load of 
TikTokers turning up in that very little village. And just sort of posting theories as if it's like a Taylor Swift fandom thing. Yeah. Um, people will pivot to content quite cynically. And so YouTube, YouTube types early on sort of jumped into QAnon because it was doing better numbers than anything else and it was monetized. And so there's a financial ecosystem that rewards people for promoting whatever content is catching fire at a given time yes. and then and then once it's among influencers it starts coming into the mainstream either through the fox news type channels or through people kind of covering well what's this weird influencer thing then yeah and often people in the mainstream media don't quite explain it in the right ways and but again go back to this point that i always come back to because there's a grain of truth there once you're put it in the mainstream and maybe people don't explain it quite right. Other people go, Oh, I'll look into this and then end up down the rabbit hole as well. Uh, you mentioned nihilistic teenagers on 4chan. James Paul, do you want to tell us about being a nihilistic teenager on 4chan? <laughs> well, I, I was a teenager when 4chan launched and you know, you do tend to go through a bit of a nihilistic board, you know, you're nerdy, you, you don't have much of a social life. And so, you know, a lot of early 4chan, yes, there was lots of, you know, misogyny, homophobia, I, you know, casual racism that would disgust me these days. But a lot of it was just chaos in a fun way. You know, lolcats comes from that, rickrolling comes from that, all yep. sorts of bits of fundamental internet culture were born on 4chan. You know, it had its kind of bright fun side as well. I'm and teasing what, what... you because in your book, you talk about being a bored teenager, watching, yes. you know, sitting on the 4chan message boards and so on. And and what, what I sort of say in the book is, you know, I was on there for a year or two and then, you know, I, I got a job. I went to uni, I started going to the pub and like life started. And so I moved on and that's what happened to al almost everyone on there. You know, I've got friends from that era who I know still who are perfectly nice, functional adults. Um, but for some people, life didn't start mm. and things went wrong for them and they ended up staying on 4chan and the mask becomes the face, you know, the nihilism starts to cut deeper where pranking someone with Rick Astley was enough once it then becomes a porn video or a violent video, or, you know, you need to do worse things to chase the same high. Yeah, you and use then... the other example, don't you? Of one one day it was loads of pizzas turning up at your house which is annoying you have to settle the bill the not so long later it's a SWAT team turning up at your house yeah exactly and people have died as a result of swatting as it's called um but it does also mean the new 17 and 18 and 16 year olds that turn up to this site they're not coming to a clean new site like I was you know they're coming to a site with all the people who've been there 10, 15, 20 years. And so, you know, it's pretty, It's it means that they come into something that starts a lot more toxic and it's a lot easier to get pulled into that very bad place. And presumably to make a name for yourself if that's what you want to do or gain attention once it's 10, 15, 20 years in the making, you have to do much more extreme things as a newcomer. Yes, exactly that. To sort of be part of that in crowd, you you know, to be see taken seriously as in that group, you've got to be 
yeah, much worse than you needed to be before. Um, and it, it's partly to get a sense of community and identity on a platform where no one has a handle or a name. You have to fit in through the memes and the norms, and they make those quite costly socially. Yes. Um, let, let's kind of dig into another aspect of this that I'm interested in and relevant to this show, which is how the mainstream media deals with it. Because... It, as you said at the beginning, it's kind of fine just about if it's just people on, you know, 4chan, which is a message board, if we haven't explained that. And, you know, if that's just people posting stuff on 4chan, that's fine. It's kind of not great if it's people on 4chan doing things that happen in the real world, real world the pizzas, the swatting, that's obviously very dangerous and needs dealing with. But even at that point, it's still fairly small, right? Yeah, it's it's a niche problem. But what happens, uh, first of all, we've talked about how it drifts into mainstream social media and obviously the user numbers for chan compared to Facebook are sort of almost, you know, completely different yeah. ends of the internet drop, scale. Drop in the ocean, yeah. yeah. And then we've also talked about, you know, this the Fox News thing, but how do even more mainstream, you know, we're talking the BBC, the Guardian, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What role did these organisations have in either accidentally promoting the QAnon type things or fighting the, you know, the conspiracy theories that are out there and so on? I, I think there sort of tends to be a few problems. I think mainstream media woke up to QAnon far too late. They sort of took the old advice of don't amplify a bit too seriously uh, and by the time, you know, QAnon influencers were getting millions of views per video, you had people who did news outlets with far smaller audiences say, well, I don't want to amplify this very niche message. And it's like, well, it's not niche. That's the problem. Yeah, you're look at the YouTube views. Yeah, you're in denial <laughs> here. Um, but then once it was covered, it was almost covered as if, look at these weirdos. You know, look yeah, at the always, bad weirdos. Always. It's never... It never seems to stop and go, why do people who have previously been, you know, perfectly nice, normal members of society, even if, you know, a lot of them are socially conservative, but not universally by any stretch, why are they suddenly coming to believe something so dangerous and outlandish? Instead, it's look at these weirdos, you know, and that looks very dismissive. That's almost the reaction they want because it kind of shows that they're not, you know, they're not being given a fair hearing. And given that, you know, they've got allegations around 800,000 children going missing in the US every year and all of this, they sort of see that as a sign of complicity of the media. And so... Because they see you know, it as part of the elite they're fighting and exposing. Yeah, part of the cover-up, you know. They're just saying to Lafferty's they're not actually challenging it. And I think trying to show that you reject the ideas, you know, it's laced with anti-Semitism, it's laced with all sorts of hatefulness, but trying to sort of explain how intelligent, decent people can get pulled into these is what the media should be doing because that'll help inoculate people and help people look out for signs that someone around them is getting into it. If you just make out like conspiracies only happen to fringe idiots, then you sort of don't, people don't imagine it happening to anyone they know or themselves. Yes. 
it, you know, there, are really... no, there are Nobel Prize winners who go right down the conspiracy rabbit hole. You know, intelligence is not a guard against it at all. Well, so, sometimes quite the opposite, because if you're very clever, you could sort of you can make connections that maybe other people don't or see. So, yes, I can I yeah. can certainly see how that works. Um, but there, there is a fine line for the media to balance it. And I'm sorry, I'm bouncing around a bit. But as you were speaking, I was thinking of Anonymous, which you outline how that sort of sprung out from the 4chan QAnon world and it was I think for most people the first time they were saw in the mainstream this hacktivist world for themselves and a lot of that again was from the mainstream wasn't it because we saw on the news you go to like a pro uh there'd be like a protest in Trafalgar Square or something here in London or outside the embassy where Assange was held hold up and you'd see these yeah. people in V for Vendetta masks looking quite strange and ominous and people were like yeah. well these I mean, are a they, bunch of they weirdos knew... yeah they they did kind of know how to get media attention quite reflexively sure. you know a lot of these online movements you know to be good at 4chan to be good at trolling you've got to know what gets attention you know lulsec was like five teenagers most of them here in britain and they got explained really, break really, that down for listeners. Uh, Lulsec was sort of a uh, spin-off of Anonymous. It was a small hacking group that the FBI eventually took down, uh, and they were more or less just doing it for kicks and giggles rather than for any particular, you know, idealistic purpose. But at one point, they um, they went on a debate on a televised debate with Westboro Baptist Church and hacked their every website, sorry like, every word live, in that. Of that sentence is terrible. That's <laughs> yeah. about the worst sentence I've ever had on this podcast. There was Lulsec uh, with the Westboro Baptist Church. That's terrible. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, it's it's real bingo, isn't it? But yeah. um they hacked them live on air, which is really <laughs> funny. Like and right. so, you know, because they were essentially doing gods on our side type thing. And uh and Yeah, so... and you talk about uh how one of the early days it was a, this was sort of anonymous wasn't it more than QAnon as we know it now yeah. was um them hacking like sending blank black faxing black pages to uh the church of Scientology and yeah. just going after Scientology because it's yeah. funny and that, and then, that was that was anonymous's first big movement yes. that was what made it real exactly and that's what you you explained very well how that brought it out into the real world but this is what fascinates me when did it come from being grumpy teenagers slash people who should know better doing things that are funny you know you talk about the sort of silly cosplaying online where people pretending to have all sorts of insider information and stuff when did it become a joke to becoming something that led to the storming of capitol hill I think, and, I, and i don't think i'm making too big a leap the line think, connects yeah. don't they i think oh they absolutely do i mean QAnon was one of those joke sort of accounts i think it's when it jumps to people who aren't in on the joke. Okay. It's when it jumps to sort of someone who then finds it credible. And of course, you know, that's sort of what they're aiming to do because you know it's good if people take it seriously. You know, a good troll, no one's quite sure if the person's trolling or not. My my favourite example is um, a very famous weight weightlifting bulletin board thread where someone manages to end up causing a huge argument about how many days are in a week um, and just keeps sort of explaining that if they exercise every other day, they'll exercise eight times a fortnight. And 
people just get absolutely enraged. I'm now trying to work out if this is possible. It's not. Um, But it's it's genuinely. No, I'm in on the troll. I'm counting days for. 14 uh no there are seven days no we can confirm that on the edition podcast but yeah it's just so but it started off as a joke when you were on there it was all about being silly yes you might feel uncomfortable with the homophobia people using racist slurs to get a reaction etc 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 but most of it was a joke and then one day you had this person no you know with claiming to have this q level clearance talking about a Hillary Clinton, you know, this roundup of the dark, deep state, including Hillary Clinton, who seems to be, as far as I can tell from what you've written and what I've read elsewhere, enemy number one, target number one. It's always Hillary Clinton or the Clintons as an entity. Yeah, and it's always noted that they're friends with Epstein as if if Trump wasn't. Um, Uh, And just if that he's not been in pictures of all sorts of people, but it's always this thing that comes back to the Clintons and paedophilia. And yep. then it becomes, seeps into the real world. You've said that people took this Q character more seriously because of the enigmatic way he spoke. And I can yep. get that you put include the message book in the book. And yes, I can see how you'd be sort of drawn in. Yet there's still a huge leap that I can't get my head around from even believing these conspiracy theories online to rounding up thousands of people to storm Capitol Hill on the 6th of January and shout hang Mike Pence. I I mean, I think a crucial thing here is time and group dynamics. So people, you know, people like Tracy Beans and other YouTube types started sort of, uh, again, a bit like fandom, a bit like you know, if you go on YouTube and search Taylor Swift videos, you'll also see loads of hour-long breakdowns of every visual reference in each Taylor video. Um, and they, they could be quite fun. Um, but people would start to do that with Q posts. Right. Um, and break those down. And that gets really interesting. You know, it's like a puzzle that you can work on. And Because you can people work are trying to find people. out who, who this poster was. Or what what the little clues meant. They weren't really trying to find out who it was. They were trying to find the meaning of the posts. Even because... if though much of the post, much of what goes on on the 4chan boards was a joke. But by the time these people are seeing it, they don't really know what They're 4chan not in on the is. Joke. Yeah, this is, this is sort of people who haven't been on 4chan, who are now getting pulled into it. You know, right. who knows how sincere those first influences were. But then once these people start forming sort of communities around discussing the boards, about discussing what to do, um, that starts to, you know, there are a lot of group psychology things we know that if you have a bunch of people who largely agree with each other on something and you have them discuss that for a while, they don't settle on roughly the middle of where they were when they started. They tend to agree at the most extreme end of their position. And so people self-radicalized and people sort of had three, four years of it. And then the mainstream Republican party has certainly not openly accepted QAnon is true, but they've, they nudge and wink at it all the time. You know, Marjorie Taylor yeah, Greene and Lauren Babbitt Baber have both in the past openly and those are both, um, yeah, they're both uh, Republican members oh, of Congress. Um, Trump... they're Congress. They're congressmen, not senators, aren't they? Yes, they're in the House. Um, 
but Trump now walks on stage to rallies to a Q anthem. Um, yeah, you know, this is, okay. Uh... I've avoided it for 25 minutes. Let's talk <laughs> Donald Trump. What he, he role does he have in openly, this? He, it's, he is now openly sort of embracing the, the movement. You, you know, Mike, Mike Flynn, um, yep. who was his national security advisor, bear in mind that's the most senior role in, in US security, security yeah. that there is, um, you know, is an open avert Q influencer. Trump sort of makes lots of references to those people. He's happy to use that as part of his base and his power. And so when you've got a movement like this that's being embraced, you know, that is the very, very dangerous types of populism that can lead to democracies collapsing. January the 6th was a joke, but who knows, you know, if Trump got a second term, and that could be a 50-50 chance... Well, yeah, who you, knows what could happen? You put in the book, I can't, I'll par- I'm paraphrasing slightly, that basically it was meters and a bit of luck that these people didn't clash with some of the politicians. They yeah. actually didn't get into the chamber and somehow didn't bump into any lawmaker or politician. They, in, they, were, in a corridor. they were at one point about 15 feet away from getting into the chamber the the chamber before it was evacuated um and basically uh, a police officer managed to lure them in the wrong direction yes there's a very famous video i think i don't know if it's from his body cam or one of the uh insurrectionists one of the security cams cameras. i think in the, well, as but, he's, yes this guy who you know realizes suddenly where these people are and who they're about to come into contact with sort of lies doesn't he and shifts them the wrong way yeah it sort of looks a bit like he's running away but when you sort of realize what he's actually doing he did his job really damn well well he said he he got a medal for it yeah yes he did Uh, he did he did and it's i'll see if i can find the coverage to include it in the show notes because it's quite an extraordinary moment i have incidentally sent you the bodybuilding oh i can't wait to read that yes i'm (laughs) glad to get disappeared down that rabbit hole um so we've got trump now saying this stuff out loud and I have to end by asking you, what responsibility then does the media have heading into an election campaign when it's highly, highly likely he is again going to be a nominee for president and will have a very, very a 50-50 at worst shot of being the president once again? How does the mainstream media, both in the US and around the world globally, deal with this issue of QAnon conspiracy theories and QAnon's approach to politics more broadly, but how do and that fake news issue that we started talking? How can we in the mainstream media deal with that? So, you know, this this will set. I'll come up to to a couple of specific things in a sec. But the reason I called the book "The Other Pandemic" is I think that we're in a digital era of you know, roughly where we were during industrialization, you know, cholera is getting worse, diseases are more rife, more people are in cities, more people work in factories, and we don't fully understand germ theory properly yet. And so, you know, these became high public health priorities. And we learned, you know, we essentially developed the field of immunology, we developed, you know, a proper understanding of how infectious diseases work. I think we need to have a similar effort and research on, you know, digital pathogens, on memes that do this. You know, viruses aren't alive. They self-replicate inside hosts. You know, 
how is that different from these sort of digital viruses and so i think we need proper research into what works and how things spread and what's effective you know we need proper budgets going into it um and we, until we have you mean that, you think gov- kind of government attention yeah re- certainly on the research i don't think the government should then sort of you know have boards of census etc but what what yeah. does help people build trust what doesn't what tackles it because once someone's in a conspiracy movement getting them out of it is as difficult as de-radicalization yeah, but I, i'm going to push uh, and you... so just no no i've got to do some specifics i promise i think the, the crucial thing for me is actually trying to inoculate a bit by saying the kind of messages that trump will be saying and leaning into relating to q and explaining them before he does so you don't go into a fact check sort of ahead of it you go Trump's tapping into these ideas. This is what they believe. You know, he is what's really going on. You know, one of the most powerful numbers QAnon uses is 800,000 children disappear every year. That's actually from an FBI statistic, but it's a really badly formatted one. It's literally just how many missing person reports are put in each year. And of course, overwhelmingly, these people are found within 12 hours. Um, you know, I get into one of the cases in a bit of detail yeah. in, in the book. Um, now, the FBI could change how it presented those stats so that the page is a lot clearer because they know that lots of conspiracy places link to it. If they're not going to do it, there should be good regular stuff on mainstream outlets explaining the realities of, you know, what happens with child trafficking, what happens with these kind of things. I mean, I, I totally agree with you. But there's the problem, isn't there, that if CNN did that and CNN explained that stat, A, the people who need to hear it are probably not watching CNN, for starters. Two, anyone that is, is going, well, it's not on, never mind Fox News, the now Newsmax, One America News, the more extreme right-wing stations that have flourished in America now and are even chipping away at Fox's news audience. The people are not going to, the people who need to hear that kind of information are not listening to it and you've you've got you've got to go at the people who might be pulled in rather than the people who are already pulled in and if you're watching newsmax it's probably too late you know there aren't floating voters watching newsmax um and so no but there's enough people watching newsmax that it's now a problem yes but essentially that's 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 not a problem that the media can fix that ends okay. up being above our pay grade, you know? Um, uh, here's we, another we, pro- we can only speak to the audiences we can reach. Which leads me to a sort of final question on this, which is about interviewing Donald Trump. You'll have seen as well as I have the meltdown that followed the town hall with Trump and Caitlin, which Caitlin Collins hosted. I kind of thought, now I, I, I'll be clear, I didn't watch it live. I've watched a bunch of clips on YouTube that CNN posted. I appreciate they're probably posted to make Caitlin Collins look as good as possible. I think she did as good a job as she could pushing back on Donald Trump. I think you also have, you've talked about inoculation. I think one of the ways you do that is you have to keep interviewing Donald Trump. Now, a lot of the, on mainstream outlets, you can't just leave him to blather on on Fox News or wherever else. The other thing that was the big complaint about that town hall was that it was a quite Trumpy audience, wasn't it? It was a Republican audience that swung generally to Donald Trump as well. 
And that meant that he could kind of get away with saying what he wants. He could get away with being quite aggressive to the host. He could sort of take the mick out of her and mock her. And there wasn't that much she could do. However I, good a... Do you, what's the approach do you think someone like CNN should have taken? I think they shouldn't have done a town hall format. It should I think, have been a straight interview. Yeah, a straight interview is a much better chance to hold a politician to account, which is why they tend not to give that format. But you can follow up, you can decide when to move on to the next issue, you're not restricted, and they don't have a sort of peanut galley behind them. I did think in the format the host did admirably, and some of CNN's other sort of talent afterwards did yeah, everything Anderson they could. Cooper uh, Anderson Cooper, Jake Tapper did really well yeah. as well. Um, but they shouldn't have done it. I mean, it just wasn't... Even though they do town halls for other... I think, I just think, essentially, it didn't... There there was no need for a town hall. The You know, there hasn't been the first primary debate, there hasn't been the first... But they have done it with a lot of... Did we Nikki Haley, with others? but I just think it's a bad format. I don't think it serves audiences very well. And I think, especially when you know you've got someone who will serve to rile up hate, who will serve to challenge actual democratic norms, who will serve to spread dangerous conspiracies that provoke people to mass shootings. You don't give them the luxury of a town hall format. You know, I actually think, you know, you can make a case that, you know, Nikki Haley hasn't done that so she can have one. But Trump, if you've got to have him on your air, you need him in a way where you have some control. And they didn't do that. And, you know, I think it's quite telling that uh, Chris Licht was out within about yeah, that, two Yeah, he didn't last afterwards. very long after that, did he? No, Between I that mean, and it, the Atlantic article, he didn't last yeah, very long after it, that. It, I mean, it just shows you he was not a man of good judgment, was he? Well, um, it didn't end well for him. So no. are, are you concerned about the mainstreaming of QAnon conspiracies as we head into the brunt of the next US election cycle? Absolutely. I'm worried about it in several election cycles, really. But, uh, you know, you had um, the violent uh, coup attempt in Germany was QAnon related. You have people here who believe it quite intensely. You know, I think the US election is the one most in danger of this stuff because Trump will try to use it. Um, And of course, it's where things like the groomer narrative that Ron DeSantis pushes originated you know this stuff ends up manifesting all over the place mm. um and so yeah it's it's gonna be rough are you are you concerned about it seeping through here yes okay uh yeah i think it absolutely is i think it's part of this um sort of culture war effort um you know i think it does manifest here in all sorts of ways. You know, I think you see the Tories try and tap into it, but they don't really have the instincts. You know, you can tell. That no, I can't. I mean, I, I totally agree that, you know, there's there's clearly Conservative Party attempts to galvanise some elements of the culture wars. That's a big leap from the kind of paedophile ring think, conspiracy theories you that started out i on think they they come a bit they start to flirt with it a little bit when in some of the ways they talk about grooming gangs etc you know suella and rishi were not being all that subtle when they did that some of what they're trying to stoke when they kind of go about drag drag queens etc it's not it's not yeah, there to me but, that's but there more... is there is a phenomenon called sort of soft cue pastel cue they they know what they're tapping into when they do that. You know, GB News 
quite often goes very, very close to Q. And the Tories... Yeah, but that, again, that's a very that big ch- difference no, to but the Prime Minister and the Home Secretary. Yes, but there are seven serving government MPs who are hosts. Sure, and that's that, a whole different that issue. Channel. Yeah, and and also the ministers definitely have their eye on that channel's audience, and so they're not they're not going to openly embrace it to anything like Trump has. But I think I think it's naive to say they're not tapping into it a little. Well, you've left me thoroughly depressed and concerned. I look forward to reading the rest of your book. James, tell people where they can keep up with you, buy the book, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you can buy the book at all good bookshops and also Amazon. Uh, And you can keep up with me at JamesRBUK on Twitter, as I will continue to call it. Oh, yes. Well, this is the first show that's not actually, it's called X, not Twitter. Anyway, it's called Twitter. Um, And I will include affiliate links to James's book on for Amazon, for bookshop.org, for Waterstone, so you can pick it up nice and easily and support the edition via the show notes. I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on Twitter while it still exists and all the other shows and networks or at Charlotte A. Henry on TikTok, things like that. James, thanks so much for joining me and I'll see you all next week. (laughs) 